is Randy Hughes, the voice of rock. Hey everybody, this is Pat Torpy from Mr. Big. And you're listening to Music Mania. I want you to want me. The dream police. Your mama's alright. Your daddy's alright. But just seem a little bit weak. Scream for me, Brazil! Scream for me, Brazil! So let's rock and roll all night! Come on every day! In the words of ACDC, we roll tonight to the guitar bite. And for those about to rock, I salute you. You are now listening to the Music Mania Podcast, brought to you by CD Warehouse in Gladstone, the number one hard rock podcast in the Midwest, featuring hard-hitting interviews with rock's living legends. And now, here is your host, Clint Schweitzer. Well, it is officially fall here on the Music Mania Podcast, which means hoodies, football, bonfires, and haunted houses, Halloween's coming up, and the Music Mania Podcast is just getting things ramped up. The summer of 2019 maybe slowly fading into the sunset, but here we are launching into the stratosphere, on into the rest of 2019, and heading towards 2020, and it means great guests continuing to pour in here on the podcast. Very excited this week as we're going to be talking to Jamie Brown, the singer from the band Roxanne. They released a debut album in 1988 and then didn't release another one for 30 years, but they are back. And the new album is Radio Silence. It features 11 tracks of pure adrenalized classic rock influenced music and also features special guest appearances by guitar legend George Lynch, King's X frontman Doug Pinnock, and corn drummer Ray Luzier. I'll tell you what, it is going to be great to catch up with Jamie as Roxanne is making a comeback. They've uh, kind of always been around, you know, playing uh, playing kind of as a cover band and, and doing other things in music. But now coming back with this album, it is really exciting and it's really great to see it. Or Radio Silence, I already have four videos out. You can catch them on YouTube and they have another one getting ready to be released very soon. Not only that, welcoming back to the show, Brian Ray. Yes, the guitarist from Paul McCartney's band, Brian Ray, has a new single out. It's called Pirate Radio. It's a throwback. It's uh, talking about kind of his influences and music going back to the days of growing up in Southern California and Wolfman Jack and doo-wop and the golden age of um, golden oldies music and what got him started in music. He's been in Paul McCartney's band now for 17 years. They just got off the road for a summer tour that featured a stop at Dodger Stadium in LA, his hometown. So Brian's been on this show before. He uh, did a cover of Smokey Robinson's Tears of a Clown. He did that with Smokey. That was the last time we had him on, which is um, six, seven months ago. So it's great to have Brian Ray back on. Great to have Jamie Brown from Roxanne. It has been a whirlwind for me. The summer may be winding down, but the excitement is just ramping up for me. Just got back from uh, seeing Kiss in St. Louis. Um, so the end of the road is near for Kiss, but you know what? Rumor has it that's going to go on until 2021. January 2021 is when they expect the final show. So maybe I haven't seen Kiss for the final time. Just got back from Las Vegas last weekend, catching the Iron Maiden show at the MGM Grand with the Raven Age opening up. What a tremendous set list from Iron Maiden, my favorite band of all time. It was amazing to see them in Las Vegas. The crowd reaction was insane. 
hearing songs like The Flight of Icarus, Revelations, Where Eagles Dare. Um, you even had some thrown in there like The Sign of the Cross from uh, Blaze Bailey era and um, For the Greater Good of God um, from, a, you know, an album kind of, uh, you know, more recent from 2006, A Matter of Life and Death. So wonderful to be there in Vegas for that event. Iron Maiden bringing it as always. Uh, it just blows my mind to see Bruce Dickinson at 61, still every bit of the singer and front man that he was uh, 20, 30 years ago. It is incredible. I love everything about what Iron Maiden stands for. They're always there for the fans. And it's just, um, it was just an honor, honor to be there and so excited about uh, things that we've got coming up here on the Music Mania Podcast. Lots of interviews, lots of guests, lots of shows still coming up. we got Louder Than Life Festival coming up next weekend in Louisville. You are going to hear the commercial for that later in the show. Oh, it's going to be amazing. We've got Slipknot. Uh, you've got Marilyn Manson, Rob Zombie, Guns N' Roses, Stone Temple Pilots, Godsmack, so many more. This festival is going to be huge in Louisville, Kentucky. Get your tickets today, louderthanlife.com. You can check this festival out. Be there because this is the rock festival of the year. Guarantee that. Um, before we get to our interview with Jamie Brown from Roxanne, got to tell you about our sponsor, CD Warehouse in Gladstone, Missouri. Guys, for over 22 years, a staple of the Northland, they buy, sell, and trade CDs, DVDs, vinyl, and more. Do not let the vibe of the old school record store go by the wayside. Give them a visit off Antioch Road today. Tell them Music Mania sent you, and there will be a discount or it's on us. Louder Than Life, America's premier three-day rock festival, comes to Louisville's Highly Festival grounds at the KY Expo Center, September 27th through 29th, starring Guns N' Roses, Slipknot, Disturbed, Rob Zombie, Godsmack, Marilyn Manson, Breaking Benjamin, Chevelle, Hailstorm, and many more. Single day and weekend passes are available now at louderthanlifefestival.com. Jamie, my friend, how's everything going, man? Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. How's everything been going? What's been up, my brother? Oh, everything's good. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, boy, what can I tell you? We just uh, just shot a new video this weekend. Looking forward to getting it out in a couple of weeks. Well. The videos have been such a huge part of this, and we're just jumping right into it here. Uh, the album, which has been out about a year, Radio Silence, um, I think you had four videos to go along with it already. Talk about how important that is, because I know that, like, you, um, you know, filmmaking is a big a big deal for you. It's something that you're, you know, very much into and very intuitive about. So is, is, is it kind of your intuition that led, uh, led you guys into doing these videos? And tell us about uh, what you got coming up. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of multifaceted here. Um, I have been making music videos for other artists for a while now. And then um, with this record, it's just kind of unrealistic uh, with our schedules to get out and do a bunch of touring. So we thought, well, let's just shoot as many videos as we can make time for and kind of, you know, hopefully that would be enough to promote the record. And then if, if a tour came along and we could work it out, otherwise, you know, we're just going to keep making videos so people can see the band from the comfort of their own living room. Absolutely, and they're, they're all fantastic. The album, which is uh, came out last October, uh, Radio Silence, it's, it's a tremendous follow-up to, to your 1988 debut. It's, it's, it's unbelievable to think that um, 30 years later you guys were able to do this. Just kind of talk about, you know, why and how this all came about um, and just sort of the antithesis for 
for getting back together. I mean, we're talking about uh, Roxanne, all original members, you guys getting back and doing this. Just talk about how it all came about and kind of what the reception's been like here over the last year or so on this album. Well, the reception has been great. We can start there. Uh, and how, how we how we got to it, we've, we've been playing together this whole time, just doing different things, that are not, not original music, uh, just, just doing covers and taking care of our families and that sort of thing. And um, I was shooting videos for different record labels, and one of those labels was Rat Pack. And in the course of some phone conversations, they figured out that I was guy who wrote Man in the Moon, which was on screen record back in, I think it was 92, 91, something like that. And John Throbby sang on the record. And John yeah. Throbby is also on Rat Pack doing a solo thing. So that struck up a conversation. Oh, I didn't even realize you, you know, were in a band. And that one thing led to another. And uh, they said, well, let's do a Roxanne record. So that's how that came about. We were not actively looking to do it, but my relationship was there from making music videos and uh so this record contains two songs that were supposed to be on roxanne 2 which we never did and those two are man in the moon and quarter four and um quarter four is the video we just shot this past weekend so awesome. that's 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 how the deal came about and um the reception has been great and i think people are going to really like this next video this one is this is more uh, storytelling than the other ones. The other ones had a lot of band performance. This one is more acting with actors and, and acting out the story. Well, Jamie, you were able to, to have some really amazing special guests uh, on this album and uh, alumni of the show, George Lynch, who's been on our show several times before, was uh, featured on this album, along with uh, Doug Pinnock and, of course, uh, Ray Luzier from Korn. Just kind of talk about how these guys, how that kind of came about, uh, getting these guys involved. I mean, it's sort of an eclectic mix of, of some tremendous players here. How did this all happen with them? And, uh, I mean, they, they really added a lot um, to, to the, you know, to the, to the music and what they brought to it. I thought it was awesome to have those guys on there. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, Ray and I have been friends for about 20 years. And um, Ray was instrumental in getting me... My first job making music video, and that was for KXM, which is Ray, George, and Doug. So Ray was the one that goes, hey, I know a guy would be perfect to make this video. So that was the first music video that I did. And making that video, I met George and Doug. And hence, that led to a friendship and a series of uh, other videos. And uh, so that also led to the record deal, I guess, in a roundabout sort of way. And so I just thought it would be appropriate to have them play on it because they were all instrumental in making it happen. And then Doug Panic, since the first King's X record, Out of Silent Planet in 1988, has been one of my favorite vocalists, if not my favorite vocalist ever. So having the opportunity to first have him play bass, he played bass on Man of the Moon, and then we had already finished the vocals. And I thought, it's, you know, I need to see if I can get him singing something on the record and we figured out that there was a song that would be appropriate for us to take turns singing on it so brought him back in and did that too oh it's awesome uh great great yeah. to see them on there and it was just oh yeah again just this album it's just blowing me away because you know, you go back to, to 1988 and you guys come out with this album, a self-titled album. Uh, and, you know, you, you chart with uh, a song like Cherry Bay. You had uh, Sweet Marie on that album. And then the cover of Play That Funky Music. 
And it, then it's like you guys were just gone. I mean, kind of take us back to, to 1988, <laughs> that album, and sort of the genesis of Roxanne and kind of what happened and why it all went so quickly for you guys. Yeah, well, we, we had always been able to pay our bills doing covers. That's kind of what we did. And we did oddball covers, like rock and roll versions of disco songs and Part Your Family songs and things like that. We played, you know, not your standard top 40 kind of thing. And um, then we were doing that, and then in 87, we shopped for a record deal, and that's where we got the Scotty Brothers CBS deal and made that record. But they had seen us live and knew about these weird covers that we did. And so they wanted to include one on the record, so we did the cover play that funky music. And then we also did a dance remix for dance stations. And then we went out um, in a little van to promote that record and um, saw the reaction that play the funky music was getting, so we turned that into a medley. We added a bunch of other disco songs in the middle, so it'd be a, a bigger bigger ending. Instead of three minutes, we turned it into seven. And um, then we saw the reaction of that, and at the same time, we were kind of losing our love for the music business and our particular label. So we um, started something called The Boogie Nights, which was all, it was the same guys in Roxanne just playing disco cover and we took it a step further this time and did choreography and costumes and wigs and all that stuff um and so that turned into a business of doing covers that spawned a bunch of different bands and me putting to work a hundred of my friends who were also musicians and we just kind of bailed on the music business at that point because Grunge was coming in, and our kind of music was out of favor. You know, the only rock band that was killing it was Guns N' Roses, and we knew that we were never going to live up to that. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just bailed and said, uh, yeah, let's just do covers for a while and, and do what we got to do until this deal came along. That's, that's where we are. Well, it's it's tremendous, and I, I think the album is great. And it's it's weird because, you know, you're got, you guys are a band that, you know, you're from California, but you're not really considered one you know an 80s la sunset strip band um did you did you kind of run over that area did you get did you play the strip very often did you run around with some of those bands back in the day kind of what was you you kind of seemed disassociated from that whole scene yeah that's that's a good observation on your part because yeah we weren't disassociated just by the mere fact that we lived about 70 miles east of hollywood so we lived kind of in the desert, in Riverside, Moreno um, Valley, Sunnymead. It's, it was kind of farmland, you know, at that, <laughs> at that point. And, um, yeah, we, we drove in and we, we, we did the strip thing, but we weren't any good at self-promotion. We couldn't, we couldn't really do it. We, we walked the, the strip a couple times and had off wire said, this is humiliating, we can't do this. And um, uh, we just kept playing around kind of in almost like a punk rock fashion where I can remember our first gig at the whiskey and the sound man was asking me what I wanted in my monitors and I said nothing <laughs> and he was in sh- and he was in shock but that was just the way that we did things and we had we had terrible equipment if any and we just kind of rolled in and grabbed whatever was available and did our thing and then got out 
And that was kind of our approach to a lot of the things that we did. In fact, when we did the first record, we didn't have a decent guitar amp to record with. So I borrowed Paul Gilbert's um, favorite Marshall at the time. So we used his Marshall to track our whole record. And then we're done doing guitars, load the head up in my manager's car, go spend the night at his apartment with playing and get Paul his head back the next day. And it got stolen in a truck that <laughs> night. Oh, my God. Yeah, so now uh, I still don't have a guitar amp, and I owe Paul a thousand bucks for his. Uh, <laughs> so, so that that didn't go well. Uh, me and Paul are still friends. It's all cool now. He told me a couple years ago somebody um, contacted him. They had bought a Marshall head on eBay, and it was that head. It oh had my. his name inscribed inside. <laughs> That's and insane. Said, I've got this app, and I'm wondering if you want to get it back. And Paul goes, oh, no, it's cool. You can keep it. And I'm like, dude, you should have got it. Give it to me. You know? Right. Uh, I pay for that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's, uh, I'm a huge Paul Gilbert fan. I love Mr. Big. Um, they, um, yeah, you know, and it's funny because, you know, it's, you know, you talk about how, and this is kind of, how music has almost evolved to how you guys went and you, and you played covers and you'd made kind of a, a great living at doing that. It's almost like um, in this day and age with so many musicians and so many bands calling it quits. I mean, gosh, in just one year's time, I saw literally the last Motley Crue show, the last ACDC show with Brian uh, Johnson and um, the last Twisted Sister show all within a few months of each other. And then now you got Black Sabbath uh, retires, Kiss is on their farewell tour. And it, it's almost like to keep this music alive, that's how it's going to have to be. There's going to have to be bands that keep this alive through, you know, various, you know, tribute acts, cover bands. I mean, that's something that, do you see that as something that's going to have to kind of propel this music on into the the next millennia here? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, somebody had asked me how I, you know, viewed tribute acts, people doing a Van Halen show or, you know, a Molly Crew show or whatever. And, um, I... You know, I don't really have an opinion other than if there is a market for it. I mean, if, if you can do it and people are going to pay you to do it, then obviously there's a market for it. Therefore, it's a good thing. You know, you're, the money's going to flow where the demand is. And if there's a demand from a good cover band, more power to them, do it. You know, and that, that's making those, pe- those people value their experience at that cover band show more than the five bucks it costs to see it, right? So sure. that's why they do it. So, so good for them. Um, whether that is the future of music, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we'll just get some new music. You know, whether it's old bands or new bands, just keep creating art that we enjoy. Absolutely. So, and you know, you know, for you guys, obviously, I think you guys um, this past summer played uh, played a show at the Whiskey. Obviously, you talked about um, it being you know limited schedule wise as far as playing live, but. I, I mean, are there are there any plans to maybe try to to try to do that? I mean, this album—it's like there's so many great songs, and it's it's great to see them unveiled in a live setting. I mean, is there is there something that you guys maybe want to try to get together, get into the mix as far as some some live shows coming up, or what's kind of the future for you guys here uh, after the video and everything coming up here? Yeah, you know, um, we would love to. It's just a little bit making sense right now, and we don't have a manager, and we don't have a talent agency. We just you know, we're just us guys doing what we do. And, you know, if somebody said, hey, you know, this would be a good opening act for us to take along, you know, to find us. So if something like that were to happen and it made sense with our schedules, then we would love to do it. But we're not actively pursuing it right now. What we're doing is we're working on songs for the follow-up record. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, what's funny is I'm going through and kind of reading some of the Amazon reviews of the album. It's just, this is unbelievable. I don't, it's five-star reviews all around, dating back from uh, the album's release up until today. People are reviewing this so highly. And um, just some crazy comments here, like, this is the best rock album in 20 years. I love that because this album is deserves, uh, I think even deserves to, you know, have, um, you know, words like that said about it. But a lot of people are saying this, and this is kind of the crazy thing, that this is better than the debut album that you guys did in 1988. How gratifying is that to hear reviews like that come in that says this is better than something you guys did 30 years ago. You guys come back and do this album for Rat Pet Records and they enjoy it more than your debut, which is hard to top things like that that you did, you know, in your 20s. That's unbelievable. That's got to be a gratifying thing to to hear that, even if it's just, you know, some Amazon reviews. That's well, really cool. Yeah, the first thing I think is, Good. They actually listen to it because um, <laughs> they're right. It is better. And you know, we, we were in our twenties doing that first record, so we were at least me personally. I was under the impression at that point. I mean, what you write about in your twenties versus what you write about in your fifties are completely different. And if they're not, something is wrong with you. Um, but I listened to the record that I did in my twenties, and I go, you know, you know, it's it's fun or whatever. But I'm what I'm saying is. You know, that's, that's some craziness right there. You know, so I put a lot of effort into this record, into what I was what I was saying and what I was writing about. So when someone says it's better than the first record, I'm like, yeah, you listen to it because it is better than the first record. And yeah. you know, we didn't we didn't work on this record for thirty years. <laughs> you know, we were doing other stuff. Um, we worked, but we did work on this record. It was three years from the day we stepped in the studio, start tracking to the day it came out. And I'd say it sat around finished for about six months. And, but there was some pre-production before Grinstead. So it's really a three-year project, this particular record. And I went over it with a fine-tooth comb. And, and so I'm glad that people like the record. And I'm glad that, you know, if I put all that effort in and said, oh, this record sucks like the first one better, then I would be very disappointed. Because I put a lot more effort into this well, absolutely, and um, the album's tremendous. You guys can uh, go over to the band's website, roxanneband.com, and um, check it out. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and kind of wherever, um, you know, iTunes and uh, all the all the mediums of today, of course. Um, you guys, uh, best of luck to you, Jamie. It's so great to, to talk to you and to, to delve into this because I've just been such a fan of what you guys have done, and to, this resurgence is, is amazing, and I just wish you guys the best going forward. Can't wait to see the new video and uh, check out the – the next album when it is uh, when it's out, man. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a true pleasure. All right, Clint. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. There you have it with Jamie Brown. He is the singer from the band Roxanne, and it's just great to have them back uh, after 30 years, all original members, and bringing it with this new album, Radio Silence, which is tremendous. 
check the videos out and uh, check them out uh, at roxanneband.com. Want to go ahead and transition to our second guest, welcoming back to the Music Media Podcast, Mr. Brian Ray. Brian, it's great to hear from you. Welcome back to the show. How's everything been going, my man? Exactly. Yeah, it's been going real good, man. Thank you very much for asking. It's, uh, it's a great day. I'm out in the desert right now, so I'm speaking to you from uh, up on this hill looking over the desert, and it's awful pretty out there. Well, I just got back from uh, Vegas just this last week, and it was wonderful weather out there. You know, out out there and on the on you know on the the western side of the United States, out on the west coast, you guys just can't quite comprehend what because I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Kansas City. And what we deal with, with uh, summer humidity, it's so different. It could be 100 degrees out there, and it feels like it would be 70 here. So you guys don't know how good you have it out there. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've been to Kansas City in in the depths of summer, and uh, whew, it gets humid. My God. Well, speaking of that, it was a, uh, a very long and prodigious summer for you, for Paul McCartney, for the big summer tour that happened for you guys kind of take me through it you guys played some really big venues and i believe uh, in july it all culminated in dodger stadium which has to be amazing for you as kind of someone that grew up in southern california and here you are you know you're playing with paul mccartney i think for what 17 years now and you're playing these classics and it's you know fifty thousand people at dodger stadium just talk to us about the tour how it went and what it was like culminating there at uh, dodger stadium yeah well we had thanks yeah we had a great spin down in uh South America, we played in Buenos Aires, and we played in Sao Paulo, we played all over the place. We had a great run of shows down there, really enjoyable. Then we had a break, we did a bunch of North American dates, and uh, those included uh, some stuff in the middle of the country and on uh, the east coast of the United States, and a few in the south. We started in New Orleans, which was really fun. As far as the Northern American leg goes, we started in New Orleans, which was fun for us because that's the city where we first played together with this lineup. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, meaningful. Uh, we were in the same hotel where we all first met that first day in advance of the one song that we were playing in the Super Bowl 2002. We played a pre-show, pre-anthem, uh, pre-national anthem song with Paul called Freedom. And uh, yeah, that was the first time we'd ever all played together. And so it was meaningful for us. That was a great show. We spun through a bunch of, as I said, southern states and midwestern states. And it all culminated there at Dodger Stadium in my own hometown uh, with a great big show. And hey, we had Ringo Starr come up and guest with us. And then Joe Walsh came up and played with us. It was pretty magnificent. You know, I, I guess it was around 55 or 60,000 people there sold out, you know, shoulder to shoulder and very fun. Yeah. Oh, inc incredible. I just love to hear that. And, um, you know, it, you, you think back to that, you know, you it all started with playing one one song uh, with Paul at that Super Bowl. Um, and and to think that now people are, are saying things like, this is the best lineup of musicians for Paul McCartney since the Beatles. When you hear things like that, growing up as a huge, you know, fan of music in, in Southern California, what kind of a, and, and then, you know, this tour happens and you're, you've been doing this 17 years, but it, you're playing these songs in front of massive audiences and you hear things like, you know, this is, is the best 
you know, lineup since the Beatles. What, what, I mean, what kind of emotions just as a fan of music come to mind for you personally when you, when you hear things like that? Yeah, you know, we, we have heard those kinds of things. We've seen them written in the press and we see that around it. You know, it's a little bit surreal for us. It's like, you know, we're obviously very pleased to be compared to such an incredible group. If it deals, of course, it's apples and oranges. It's two different things. But we love being, uh, you know, appreciated out there in the world. And we're very proud of the work that we get to do with Paul McCartney as he spins through his, you know, recent uh, solo work as with Egypt Station and previous album New. And then goes back through his rest of his solo years and wings and then back to the Beatles. It's a super big treat, you know. He obviously likes us and trusts us because we're still here. And <laughs> he has choice. He has choice. You know, he has the power of choice. He still chooses us and he chooses me. And I couldn't be more pleased with that, yeah. Well, so many things are going on for you. Uh, always staying busy, of course. And uh, the, definitely the reason that uh, we're talking today is uh, the new single that you've come out with. It's been a couple months now, um, or about a month, about, uh, late August, I think it came out, Pirate Radio. I am such a fan of this song um, and, and everything that it's about because, you know, I'm 35 years old, Brian, but everything that, um, you know, my foundation of music was, uh, was from my dad, who's from Southern California. He's your exact age and hearing stories of, of Wolfman Jack and kind of seeing the movie American Graffiti growing up like this is all kind of encompassed in this song. It almost seems like it's sort of your upbringing and your indoctrination to rock and roll into music. Talk to us about Pirate Radio, how it came to be and just sort of, you know, the antithesis and the, the journey that this song sort of tells about your life. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up at the same time that rock and roll hit the scene. I was born the same year as uh, some of Elvis's first hits, and then Chuck Berry and Little Richard and the Everleys and Rick Nelson. So I was gobbling all that stuff up as an infant, only because I had a sister who was 15 years my elder, who is a homecoming queen in high school in Glendale, California. So, you know, she was so excited by this stuff as a teenager, as that was the phenomenon of rock and roll, who was girls just like my sister. Now, she would take me over to her friend's house and uh, babysit me with her friends while playing Elvis and sharing pictures of Elvis with each other, the girls. And I just caught on that this was where it was at. And I kind of decided here and there that this required further investigation. And uh, a few years after all of that and being exposed to all of that, now I'm infatuated with rock and roll and pop radio and Los Angeles KHJ and KRLA. Um, and this is all on AM radio. Then I get a transistor radio for Christmas in 1962, I believe, and uh, you know, believe it or not, that's that's right. That's how old I am. <laughs> but anyway, I get this transistor radio, and it is the first mobile radio device. Now everyone takes that for granted now because we all have our playlists on our phones, you know, and uh, and our streaming devices and all and all that, all of our apps on our phones. But back then, the, there was only two ways to get music. Uh, well, three. You could go to a live concert, you could hear it on the radio, or you could buy the vinyl LP. Now, <clears throat> of course, 
this was the first time you could have the radio travel with you, a mobile device. I'm tuning in my usual stations. To my delight, they sounded fine with my single earbud. But one night, I was under my sheets in my bed upstairs, and I thought, you know, I couldn't let go of my transistor radio. You know, I'm tooling around the dial, and there's one station that's twice as loud as my usuals, but only at night. And I discover this, and here this, and here comes this guy, and I talk like this. And I thought, what the hell is going on now? <laughs> it was like theater. It was like theater on the radio, and uh, it was Wolfman Jack. And it was our very first exposure to Wolfman Jack on a pirate radio station, blasting out of Rosarita, Mexico, right by Tijuana, on a hill with a transmitter blasting 150,000 watts of power and slicing all across the states up to Idaho. Uh, some even reported hearing it from much farther uh, east than that. But uh, Wolf Jack was quite the character, and he was infatuated with doo-wop and R&B and soul music. He wasn't playing so much of the pop. You wouldn't hear so much of that stuff on there. You would hear the soul and the R&B and the doo-wop. And something happened to me. I recognized that music, I just viscerally knew that that music he was playing was the source of all the other pop music I was hearing on the other channels. So I quickly dispensed with the pop channels, although I still loved it. Uh, and I was a fan of pirate radio. So this song, Pirate Radio, on Wicked Cool Records, is my retelling of that story and just kind of trying to transmit the energy that I got from that era in music. You know, and, uh, and it was a blast to write it and a great time recording it. That's my tribute to uh, Pirate Radio and the importance of music. It's, it is, and that, I think that it's important to, to have tributes like this and to, to hearken back to what I refer to as, you know, the, the golden age of, of rock and roll and the, the genesis of, of what it means to us today. And I think this is tremendous. The song is great. And um, I know you can get it. Um, you can get a link to it on your website, which is brianray.com. Uh, but I assume it's out there available in all the uh, all the usual spots on, on uh, iTunes and uh, Spotify and things like that. It's, uh, it's, it's how, how can people get it if they haven't found it yet? That's right. You can find the uh, the vinyl single at Wicked Cool Records, uh, and it's a really cool single. And the B side is called Trash Man, which is also a blast. Uh, it written and sung with my friend Steve Conte, another Wicked Cool artist. Um, but you can find it on custom midnight blue vinyl, kind of matching the cover of the uh, the, the nighttime skyline and the you know howling in the uh, silhouette there on the front. And um, you can get that at Wicked Cool, and in a few days, it'll be available at my site. Um, you can buy it digitally wherever you buy your digital music, whether it's iTunes, or Amazon, or, or uh, anywhere where you get your digital music. Um, and it, yes, as you said, it can be streamed anywhere as well. So it's out there. Just punch it in. Just Pirate Radio by Brian Ray. It's kind of strange how we have to go through all these different types of mediums, isn't it? I don't know that I'll ever get used to it because used to, you know, I'd interview an artist and I'd say your new album comes out, uh, you know, this day and pick it up, get it. And now there's so many different ways. I mean, do you feel that um, as someone that's kind of experienced 
music from from this, from listening to a transistor radio to making records and to CDs and to on into now, do you feel that it's better now? I mean, better is a wrong, maybe the wrong word, but it's uh, it's easier now for people more than ever to, to maybe find things. But do you think that there's something maybe lost in the streaming and digital world? What's kind of your take just on recording music today and the changes it's gone through? Well, to be honest with you, yeah, I mean, I have opinions about having hard copies of music, i.e. a physical copy. Yeah, I, I think that's preferable. In a lot of cases, there's a sound to vinyl that you don't get in a digital streaming uh, service. Um, but the truth is, man, it's like we're in an open world now where there are all of these new technologies that offer the ability to to take music in a bunch of different ways, where, as I said before, used to be only three ways to get your music. Well, now there's hundreds, if not thousands, of ways to find your music. Um, and it's all good, man. I figure if a person digs it streaming, even if, let's say, they were to get MP3 quality something somewhere, if they like it enough, they're going to also buy the physical, you know? And you would hope they do. Um, at least there's not as much pirating of, of music as there was because it's all just out there now. You know, there, you don't, there's no, there's no incentive to, to copy and, and sell illicitly your music anymore. So that's a good thing. Yeah, certainly is. I think that's very well said. And, uh, you know, I kind of want to go back to uh, the last time we had you on and uh, we were talking about the song you did with Smokey Robinson, his uh, c- cover of Tears of a Clown that you did with Smokey himself. That was the last time we had you on and it just kind of came out. And I just kind of want to revisit that because I think it's really important and he, Smokey is such a influential artist. Just kind of take us back to that kind of what the reception has been like uh, since you did that and just sort of how, how that came about and, uh, you know, how, how that was for you and just sort of what the reception was like when uh, you did that uh, single with Smokey. Well, you know, it's such a blessing. I, I kind of pinch myself that that even happened. You know, <laughs> I was in the studio recording uh, new new singles for Wicked Cool Records, and I had asked uh, little Steven Van Zandt, as everyone knows him, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen's right-hand man, and uh, co-star on Sopranos and Lillehammer. He's also, uh, if people don't know this, the owner uh, of Wicked Cool Records and uh, the Underground Garage is serious, not to name a competitor, but he's, he's doing uh, a lot of stuff with his you know myriad talents. And he's such an energetic and curious and uh, informed guy. He's always hungry for more knowledge, very knowledgeable. And he's the biggest fan of music. Anyway, so when I get together with him to talk about my next uh, singles, I said, well, what are you guys feeling? What do you want to hear from me? And they said, well, what about Garage Soul? And I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, that sounds fun. You know, there's an era in Garage Rock in 66, 67, when you did find a lot of horns in music, like the Knickerbockers and uh, that. And, and so I thought, that makes a lot of sense. And so I started to think about it. I thought, well, I wrote a song for Smokey 30 years ago called One Heartbeat. Yeah. Which, you know, he recorded basically my demo and it put his vocal uh, and a uh, and a great sax player on there. 
but uh, it was kind of a slow jam, you know, it was kind of a mellow thing, kind of a kind of a romantic song, you know. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do it a garage soul version, then I'm going to double the tempo and double the beat and add my own kind of horn section and fuzz guitars and, you know, more of a driving feel. And that's exactly what I did. Now, while I was in the studio recording that single, I also taught the guys my version of The Tears of a Clown, Smokey's incredible song, uh, which I'd been playing in my live show for many, many, many years. And we learned it real quick. We did two takes of it. That was the second take of The Tears of a Clown. And uh, the reason we needed a second take was just because we didn't have an ending. And uh, so uh, that's the second take, man, in the studio. Then I called up Smokey and I thought, well, what the heck? The worst I could hear is, no, I'm too busy or no, I can't be bothered or whatever. But Smokey is such a nice guy and so generous and so kind. Well, he answered right away and said, sure, man, let's do it. And I booked some time at uh, the Village Recorder in uh, West Los Angeles. He came in, he listened once, and I had said some tracks to him. He listened once on the big speakers, and he goes, man, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, hey, we're not the Righteous Brothers, we're not the same a day, so we're not two guys singing to the same girl, but, you know, maybe whatever you feel, if you want to ad-lib or do harmonies, or... he goes, great, so you want me to do the second verse? <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's it. And he went out there and just, he did like five takes of uh, The Tears of a Clown, and he loved it, man. He was having such a good time. And just that was one of those feelings, man, you can't describe it. You know, working with Smokey Robinson, uh, an icon to me, and so important to my musical upbringing, to be honest with you, right there on on, on Wolfman Jack's radio show. Yeah. You know? Wow, I, I'm such a fan of Smokey and a fan of uh, the song you did with him, Tears of a Clown, and all, such a fan of Pirate Radio. Brian, everything uh, everything you do, uh, just so, so wonderful, and you do such a wonderful job with everything that that you've done. Um, as we look on into, uh, you know, 2020 and on into the future here, kind of just set the scene for us. What maybe you have coming up? Um, I know you, uh, like, you know, you've got the bayonets, uh, obviously Paul McCartney. Um, what, what, what do you got coming up? What can we look forward to here uh, on into the future for you, my man? Well, I'm going to be continuing uh, writing and recording more singles for Wicked Cool Records for little Steven. And uh, I'm very fortunate to have that offer of that record deal from them. And I'm going to just continue doing that. That's like two singles a year, which translates to four songs a year. And that suits me because it gives me time to record those and put a lot of time and energy into it and still uh, have a lot of time for the things that I love to do as well. I love recording and playing with Paul McCartney. And that's sort of my priority in my life. And it just gives me, uh, you know, a, a sort of a dual purpose to follow my own muse and to follow Paul McCartney around the world. You know? <laughs> Not a bad thing. Oh, not at all. That is just tremendous. Um, before we let you go, Brian, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of a, a rough week, you know, when, it, when things happen in music and when, you know, musicians pass away, I always kind of like to uh, just kind of see if, if you, you know, whoever I have on ever kind of cross paths. Obviously, we lost um, Eddie Money and Rick Ocasek from the Cars uh, this week, um, just in the last week alone, which is unbelievable. I just didn't know if you'd ever kind of cross paths with either one of them or had any stories. I mean, yeah, both good tremendous. Question. 
I mean, they're both significant artists. Um, I, I have one degree of separation from Eddie Money in that I know a lot of musicians that have come and gone in his band over the years. Uh, two drummers, for example, Gary Ferguson and Glenn Simmons, who were both with him for years and years and years uh, during different times in his career. Um, and, uh, and, and a keyboard player whose name escapes me right now, I remember. But Rick Ocasek, I've been a huge fan of Rick's since the Cars, you know. I, I did an album with uh, the producer of those early Cars hits, Roy Thomas Baker, who famously did The Queen during Bohemian Rhapsody and uh, also did uh, Journey in their heyday. So Roy did some of the biggest albums in the classic rock era. And uh, I was a huge fan of the Cars. Uh, and I finally got to meet uh, Rick Ocasek while in New York rehearsing with Paul. And we left the, the recording of the rehearsal studio one day, getting into our car, and there's Rick Ocasek standing there, and we jumped back out of the car to talk to him and meet with him, and he was just a gentleman, a real gentleman. I have a very dear friend of mine who I've known for a very long time who plays in the band Weezer. Yeah. And... Rick Ocasek did uh, at least three albums with Weezer and, and probably their, you know, three of their most significant albums of the many they've done were with Rick Ocasek, including their their first big one, you know. Um, so he's an important artist, a great songwriter, a killer producer, and a real gentle guy. And he's gone too soon, and so is Eddie. It's a real shame, man. What can you say? That's extremely well said, and I appreciate you sharing that uh, with us. So that is, uh, you know, definitely something. It just it's so it's a sobering situation because you know so many bands and so many artists that I revere are, you know, it just it happens. People, <laughs> you get older, and and it, and it happens. It's part of life, and it's just a sobering thought as a fan of music that you start losing your heroes and it's just like, wow, it's really kind of, it puts it all in perspective kind of, doesn't it? Yes, it does. You know, and the main thing is, is that I, you know, I would just like to say, you know, thank you to them and to any surviving uh, loved ones uh, or family. Uh, thank you, Rick. And thank you, Eddie. And to all of these great musicians that we've lost over the last several years. Yeah. For, for the memories, for the music, for the, the fabric of our lives and of our childhoods in some cases, you know, it's very important. And that's the stuff that lasts forever. And they knew that. Uh, we all know that our songs will last beyond us. And that's, that's really substantial. They did a lot for all of us. Gosh, it is. That is so true. Brian, I tell you what, thank you so much for coming back on. I always look forward to it with you. Always so thought-provoking, and uh, I'm such a fan of, of the new single, Pirate Radio. I hope everyone will go and check it out. Uh, the website is brianray.com. You can get all the information and uh, any news and alerts that come up. You can get them right there. Brian, thank you so much again, my friend, and we'll do it again soon, my man. I appreciate it, Clint. Stay in touch. You bet. Thanks a lot. Okay, man. Bye. There you have it with Brian Ray once again, welcoming him back to the podcast that single pirate radio, you can catch it on YouTube. You can buy it, uh, brianray.com. You can get it on all the platforms where streaming music is uh, is found. So make sure you do that. Support this artist. Big fan of Brian's.
I'm a big fan of uh, Roxanne and Jamie Brown. Thanks to both guests for joining us. Guys, we have so much coming up. We talked about Louder Than Life coming up. Um, got Queens Right coming up this weekend. Going to be in town to see them. Michael uh, Wilton, good friend of the shows. He's been on the show several times and uh, going to be excited to catch up with them. Love what Todd LaTorre is bringing to Queens right now. Uh, I think that he's a tremendous front man. Would any, everybody like to see Jeff Tate back in the band someday? Maybe so, but Todd LaTorre tearing it up for Queens Right. Can't wait to check that show out. So things are certainly uh, keeping busy for us here on the Music Mania Podcast. We can't thank you enough for listening. Please head over to our website, musicmaniapodcast.com. That's where all of our shows are archived, and uh, that's where you can catch my reviews for all the concerts that I attend. And uh, be sure to hit us up on social media as well. Just search Music Mania Podcast. You will find us. Uh, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or Spotify. Any way you choose to take in podcasts. If you have a smartphone, you have this show. So leave us some feedback and uh, hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for joining us on another edition of the Music Mania Podcast. Yo.